Hello, and welcome to the Content Minds. My name is Ryan Broderick, and even though I have seen video evidence that seems to say that Harry Styles did not spit on Chris Pine, I'm still mildly convinced it might have happened. I am Luke Belly, and I think that it is funnier uh, imagining Chris Pine just like stopping clapping uh, uh, to appreciate the awkwardness of Harry Styles not talking to Olivia Wilde. Like, I think that's funnier. And I don't understand why everyone's so obsessed with the idea that he had to spit on him. I just feel like, you know, in the year 2022, there aren't a lot of good prominent examples of of like public facing figures spitting at each other. It's like a very Victorian sort of slight, you know? Well, I mean, I don't know if you've heard, but um, over the last few years, there has been uh, an infectious disease going around that's carried by saliva, which I think may be part of it. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think about that. I do think, though... The only thing that could have been funnier is if Harry Styles had taken off like a silken glove and slapped him with it. No, I'm sorry. I think it's incredibly funny that like Chris Pine was just like, I assume you're going to say hi to this woman that you have not been with for two months. Nope, you're going to exactly blank her. And he's like, I cannot believe this is where I've ended up. Uh, and he is just like pausing out of sheer disbelief. And like I, he, Chris Pine, from what I hear, is broadly a professional. He is just like a normal guy who's... A Hollywood guy, but carrying on is kind of unbothered by the chaos going around him on that film set. And so him, just imagining him as as someone who's just watching these people happen and just being like, wow, we're still doing this. Okay. Is incredibly funny. Well, I guess we'll just have to agree to disagree because nothing can convince me that Harry Styles didn't spit at him. Let's get into the show. talking about a very particular kind of guy it's a kind of guy that i'm actually surprised we haven't talked about before and maybe like we've sort of like approached this i feel like during like the height of the pandemic we got into kind of these sorts of guys these guys have got these they've got worse they've evolved exactly they've evolved and so uh, we're talking about thread men we're talking about thread guys guys who make threads on twitter I, i keep trying to think of a way to like turn it into a comedy thing where i say read for more or listen for more, one dash, but it's so stupid and so specific to Twitter that it's not going to make any sense audio-wise. No, it really doesn't. Nothing, none of those like syntactical memes from Twitter make any sense when you say them out loud. So like, it's not even, it's not worth saying it. We're talking about thread men, thread guys. Uh, But before we get to that, hey, Luke, how was the internet this week? I mean, the end of this week was, was I think, relatively calm until the Harry Styles stuff happened, which is, I mean, look, we're getting back into September, people are going back to work, everyone's like coming off holiday time, and you need a really good, vibrant thing to happen. And the uh, Don't Worry Darling drama has been like exactly that. It is the perfect, fun, dumb thing for everyone to follow. So I think the internet's been in a good place. It's like found a good, fun thing to yell about. I have a totally different take on what has happened here with the drama surrounding this movie. Yeah. Thankfully, because this show thrives on conflict between the two of us. I mean, I do have a follow-up about how bad it is as well. I can can flip if if you need me to do that. No, no. So my take on it is that the movie is probably not great. And I think a lot of the people involved knew it was not great. And from all accounts, it seemed like a very bad production. To catch anyone up who does not know what we're talking about, we're talking about this movie, Don't Worry Darling, uh, directed by Olivia Wilde. It is one of two movies that Harry Styles has coming out at the moment, but this is not the one where he plays a gay police officer. That is a different movie, which I did not realize until recently. Yeah. The movie was originally going to star Shia LaBeouf. And the narrative for a while was that Olivia Wilde asked Shia LaBeouf to leave the production for the safety of Florence Poog. Pugh. 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 Yeah. Uh, turns out that is not true. Uh, Shia LaBeouf then leaked videos of Olivia Wilde. Whoa, 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 hold on. Accord, according to Shia LaBeouf's leaked videos. Well, the videos show, by all accounts, Olivia Wilde begging him to stay and saying that we'll convince Miss Flo, quote unquote, to be okay with it. So whatever sure. whatever did ha- but- whatever did happen, it doesn't appear to be what Olivia Wilde 
wanted people to know about publicly. I think that's safe to say. But I also think that she may have been trying to hold together a production where Shia LaBeouf was... Okay, look, I'm sorry. If there's a woman on a film film set who is trying to get rid of a guy and she's like, we're trying to help this, I don't think that's good good. for Libby Well. But I also don't think that that necessarily means that she didn't imply that he should leave at some point. I think there's a lot more to that. And I I I want to be really clear on it either way. Yeah. I'm not saying anything good about Shia LaBeouf. All I'm saying is that he has not, he's not part of the movie anymore. Harry Styles is part of the movie now. Harry Styles is. I think maybe still dating Olivia Wilde. Uh, I suppose I'm, I'm, I that don't is, really know what's that going is on there. Unclear. Okay. So, yeah, that's so, super so. unclear. Hold on. Hold on. Wait. Let me get to my point. There's all this stuff going on, but throughout the rollout of this movie, it became like this thing where I'd be minding my own business on Twitter, and like I don't follow a lot of showbiz accounts. I don't follow a lot of entertainment accounts that aren't like focused on like dumb nerd stuff. So, for me to like see headlines about this movie once a week, then twice a week. Then like sometimes two or three times a day. And it was like different updates from this movie that like, once again, I did not even know was not the gay cop movie that Harry Styles was making. I had no idea what this movie was. But the 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 the, the press cycle was out of control. And I believe that the conspiracy theory that's currently being spread that Harry Styles spit at Chris Pine, uh, another star of this film at the Venice Film Festival this week. I believe that conspiracy theory is the natural result of the uh, people involved in this movie just not leaving the, the the internet news cycle. Basically, like if you feed too much into the machine, this is what happens. I think this is like a natural consequence of just like not leaving people's feeds for like almost two months now. So I, I think it's a natural consequence of that because the other details of this feud, to run through them, of the series of feuds, are that... Florence Pugh is friends with or is running the same social circles as Jason Sudeikis. Jason Sudeikis and Olivia Wilde are getting divorced. Jason Sudeikis served Olivia Wilde with divorce papers publicly on stage during Comic-Con. Florence Pugh was apparently not happy about this. Florence Pugh also was not happy about the fact that Olivia Wilde and Harry Styles kept disappearing in between takes to do things. We're not sure what. <sighs> Olivia Wilde and Harry Styles were then allegedly, you know, in a relationship uh, for a while. They are then not talking during this entire press cycle. Florence Pugh is not showing up for this thing. Harry Styles appears, does not say anything to Olivia Wilde, allegedly spits with Chris Pine, which I think is actually Chris Pine reacting to him not saying anything to Olivia Wilde because it's so incredibly weird, then gets up and snogs Nick Kroll at the end of it. Yeah, super weird. But like Nick Kroll, that man, he loves drama. He inserted himself into that whole Amy Poehler, Will Arnett drama. Everyone wants to pretend like that didn't happen, but like that totally happened a couple years ago. Yeah. Uh, he's like a, he's like a little firefly for drama. Also, I got to say, look, Harry Styles, he's our former neighbor. And I feel like, you know, he doesn't seem like he's done anything wrong here, really. Truly, to drop the bit, I don't think he spit at Chris Pine. And I think that he's just like, you know, he's not... He's not a genius, right? But he's like he seems like a nice guy. He just seems like a guy who's like okay. in a movie. And okay. From- okay. If we're gonna do this, then we have to talk about his <laughs> we have to talk about his accent. Have you seen his accent? Yeah, it's not good. I don't think he's Okay, you've seen his accent. I don't think he's I mean, look, the only movie that I've seen him in before, which maybe is the only movie he's ever done, uh was Dunkirk. He plays like an asshole who then dies. And I was like, that's a great he's doing a great job of playing an asshole who I'm Happy dies. I mean, he's in, he's in the MCU now. <laughs> right. And his like two second cameo or whatever it was, I was like, that's cute. I don't need to see this character again for like 10 years. Uh, and then the next crossover movie, maybe it'll be fun. Like whatever. Anyway, to bring it back to the Don't Worry Darling narrative, I think that this is a extremely differently vibed sequel to the Amber Heard, Don't Johnny Depp story in that one of these people has an enormous fan base. One of these people is somehow the good guy in every situation. And one of these people, the woman, is the villain of the whole piece. And I don't think that's a coincidence. I don't either. And in fact, actually, I was looking through this today. And a lot of the accounts that are spreading the stories and the conspiracy theories about Don't Worry Darling are actually accounts that were previously sharing Johnny Depp, Amber Heard trial stuff. There's an entire Instagram cottage industry around this stuff. And it's like, obviously, it has links to celebrity coverage and like, you know, citizen journalists, tabloid people on the internet forever. Like, oh no, they didn't. The the blog from like, I, I don't think it's still running. Maybe it's still running, but like the super vicious gossip blog 
you know, from the 2000s. That's always been around, but this newer form seems to be like way more conspiratorial and, as you pointed out, sexist. It's sexist, but it's also, it's because I think that it is, I mean, it's, I haven't properly looked into this on TikTok, but I'm going to take a wild guess that it exists there a lot. Yeah, although I will say like, at least my experience of this new version of Harry Styles, you know, this new story of Harry Styles spitting on Chris Pine, that exclusively to me has been sent to me via Twitter clips, which I think is interesting. That is interesting. Um, and I think I think it's largely because, the like, to go back to it, the press cycle for this movie just, like, has been stuck in Twitter's algorithm for, like, two months. And, and I, I, I think it's like... In, I think it's been stuck in... But I also think it has been stuck in... I th- I'm just skimming through this now, and there are an awful lot of TikTok accounts with an awful lot of big numbers r- running these conspiracy theories about exactly what was happening and breaking down the drama and break- breaking down everything. Mm, yeah, okay. Mm. I think this is a TikTok plus Twitter thing. Well, I am I am still trying to figure out in all of these instances, and there might not be one answer, like which is downstream of which. And to me, it also feels like a lot of times there's, I think it's an age thing. Like I think if you're under 30 you're seeing this stuff via TikTok. And if you're over 30, you're seeing on Twitter. That said, I did recently interview a bunch of college students about the app Be Real. And I was asking them about like how they use the internet. And one woman I spoke to had a really interesting take where she was saying that like people her age look at Twitter. They don't post there. They look at Twitter and then it decides the content they see elsewhere, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, no, that that, that sounds right. I mean, Twitter's always been kind of the... the central node that has defined an awful lot of things yeah but yeah I, th- I think that tiktok is the thing that is also t- is turbocharging it now and for sure yeah for sure so uh before we get to the big topic let's uh let's let's do one bit uh, one more bit of meta analysis on the internet as a whole or at least attempt to and talk about the, like the absolutely fascinating know your meme post by aiden walker titled where do memes come from the top platforms from 2010 to 2022 um, and if you haven't seen this, I linked to it in Garbage Day as well, but it's this absolutely fascinating breakdown of what platforms have surfaced what memes over the last 12 years. It's a really good bit of work. Like it's a proper, it's a proper bit of work. It's so good. And it's also like, it's the only attempt at this I've ever seen, which is also weird to me. Yeah. Like no one's ever thought about doing it. It's crazy. I mean, the, the one problem with it is that they have fucked up the final chart. That's more of a visual thing, and it's hard to explain in audio form, so I'm not going to get into that. But they fucked up the final chart. The the colors, in particular, on the final chart are a little hard to parse. No, no, no. It's because it's because they're doing it. It's all as a hundred percent. So, if it's a hundred percent, you should have a an area chart, and instead they're doing a line chart, which means you can't accurately tell. It underrates the big growth and loss. It's it's a whole thing, but. They fucked up the chart, and it should be an area chart, okay. not a line chart. I don't know what that means, but that's okay. What is your biggest surprise from this report? Uh, my, I mean, without sounding ridiculous, my biggest surprise is that it's kind of like, if you asked me to draw this, this is pretty much what I would have done. <laughs> like, I, I, it's, it's pretty close to what I would have guessed. If I had to say, I think YouTube being kind of a bigger thing than I would have expected, and 4chan declining more than I would have expected and having slightly less of a an origin role. Yeah, let me, let me f- you know, I know this is not an area chart, so I'm sorry ahead of time, but let me try to explain sort of what we're talking about here. This final chart stretches from 2011 to 2022, and uh, broadly, you see Twitter spiking hugely between 2016 and uh, 2020. 18 more or less dipping a bit recovering during the pandemic of 2020 to 2021 and kind of nosediving after that which is interesting tiktok comes out of nowhere after like 2019 and just becomes like the dominant driver of memes and then what's what's really funny to me is that like <laughs> youtube is basically just one downward trend across the entire decade uh in a way that i found very dramatic and interesting i think 4chan I don't so the 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 lines that show 4chan and Tumblr basically nosediving uh in the in the back half of the 2010s makes me wonder how they're defining a meme originating and then also makes me wonder like if by focusing on where memes originate actually does undersell kind of what we were just talking about which is like is TikTok or Twitter the driver of the Harry Styles drama like does the fact that a Tumblr user didn't invent the meme 
does that sort of not give them credit for like making dat boy become a thing, you know? Well, their kind of point about like where memes come from is they're looking at stuff like in 2012, like the main meme was Gangnam Style, which was from YouTube. Right. And it was kind of the most effective way to share things. things. So I I do kind of get where they're coming from from that perspective. And also, yeah, I mean, it's interesting because it's it's kind of a map of the internet becoming normy. Yeah, that is definitely true. But, and simultaneously a map of the internet becoming less normy. Because, you know, it starts with YouTube, super normy, but in 2011 it wasn't. And 4chan, which was super unnormy, which also was not normy in normy in, in 2011. Both of those declined throughout the whole thing. 4chan's basically disappeared now. Uh, YouTube's pretty low. Uh, but then, actually, it's Twitter, which is remains relatively non-normy, but at the same time is kind of a, a hub of where everything comes from. Uh, and then, like TikTok, which is actually pretty normy. Like it's, I, I don't. It's kind of a fascinating thing of how this stuff has happened. Like it's a combination of some stuff is because there's so many people there, stuff picks up, and some things are because there's so much happening there, the stuff picks up. I think, and there's kind of two different types of network. Yeah, it's also interesting that like. Some of it does it. Some of it lines up perfectly to what you'd expect. So you know, you see Tumblr spiking huge, its biggest spike in 2014, and it never really recovers. My understanding of Reddit as like the main front page of the internet, quote unquote, was that it its biggest spike should have been around like 2012, but actually, according to this. The, the moment where it was producing the most like original memes and internet culture was 2019. Yeah. What's also interesting is that like that spike in 2019 is not actually as big as Tumblr's was in 2014, which is also interesting to me that like Tumblr has essentially nosedive since, but Tumblr's peak was a lot bigger than I thought it was. Well, I mean, remember this though is percentage. So if you're no, producing a 10th as many memes in that time, then it's, it's not quite that, but yeah. <sighs> I mean, yeah, I, I, the idea that Tumblr was more culturally dominant in 2014 than Reddit was in 2019 does feel right. The idea that Reddit was more culturally dominant in 2019 than YouTube was, I think also feels right. But the idea that YouTube is more culturally dominant than Reddit right now also feels correct. So like every time I compare two of these next to each other, I'm like, <laughs> I do get that actually. Yeah, that's true. I think what I think it's super funny that, you know, the Facebook properties are yeah. just at the bottom What's even funnier is like I'm even looking for like a peak of Instagram's relevance and at and at, at the highest was 2020 and it was still completely outpaced by TikTok, YouTube, Reddit and Twitter, you know, and, and it was it, it it's still just not like and now it seems to be completely tied with Reddit, which is also interesting to think of like Instagram as like a millennial like young parent version of reddit in a way yeah vine is also fascinating where it's like zero in 2013 zero in 2018 and then between that it gets a big spike huge spike then obviously disappears forever it's interesting i mean i i am torn over how we think about memes (laughs) which is a very (laughs) me statement i suppose but the idea that the originator of the meme is the important part. I wonder. I, I do wonder about it because it's so it's so hard to separate out the different network effects here. And it's like, off the top of my head, I can think of a, a million times where a meme has started on Twitter and had a completely second life on Tumblr. Or uh, a, a, a thing that happens on Twitter, once again, actually, has a completely second life on Reddit. And I actually, vice versa. There's an entire world of am I the actually one's happening right now. The uh, the horrible Reddit sex playlist became a massive yeah. trend on Twitter and and TikTok. If you know what I'm talking about, a redditor admitted that his sex song is really embarrassing, and then uh, everyone found the song, and it is really embarrassing. And then the DJ has released a statement about it. it's a whole thing. But like that's a Reddit story, and and also I'm not even sure if that story, that trend, that like tr- that news cycle would be counted under the way that Know Your Meme has done this report. Uh, uh, well, the other thing is that that would be counted as red, I think, but the point is it's total volume of memes that come from it. So it's it's not necessarily counting like the impact of them. So if you have something like, for example, Gangnam Style in 2012, it was absolutely everywhere and every single person knew it. But it's actually what you're really looking at there is the volume of memes coming from there. So it's implying that there are more memes rather than necessarily more impactful memes, which I think is a, a thing that this doesn't quite capture. Yeah, that is definitely true. 
But you know, you know who deserves a lot of credit for being one of the driving forces of culture right now? Uh, Threat Bros. It's men who make threads on Twitter. <laughs> Let's talk about my favorite guys, my special little guys, thread men of Twitter. I typically start these out with like a question like, hey, Luke, when was the first time you saw blah, blah, blah. I don't want to do that. I'm tired of doing that. Why do you think men are doing this? That's what, I want to get right to the heart of this. What do you think What do you think is the driving force of these men who are doing this? Uh, engagement. Okay. Are we done now? Did we do, yeah, we're we done. <laughs> <laughs> uh, first, no, I mean, let, let's, let's define what we're talking about. So d- define the thread bro, the thread man, the so thread the, guy. The, the thread bro, the thread guy, the thread man is... A really effective way to get engagement on Twitter is to do a thread. Like, it is more effective than just posting a tweet. In part, that's because you can unpack more, you can do more detail, you can explain more. You, um, But there's also, like, I think a really effective thing on Twitter where it's kind of, it's almost like turning a page as you go down a thread. Yes. So you're like, you're trying to get to the bottom to be like, oh man, where's the punchline? And, and people use this, like, really effectively. There was a story, like, two weeks ago, uh, which is from a woman, actually, where she kind of, told a story in about 15 tweets of an incident where she, someone had a heart attack on the ground. She like helped him to a hospital with his partner, but then it turned out it wasn't his partner. It was his like boyfriend uh, and he was married and they were both married and the whole thing unraveled, but it ended up with her going to both the part, the wedding of the two guys, one of which she helped and also the wife of the guy who was previously married to, and everyone had a happy ever after. They all had better lives. Everything worked out, and it was a really beautiful thread. And so oh. I think when you see it, it's like, okay, there's stuff like that, which is a really nice thread to see, and it's a really nice storytelling device. Then you get a thread bro who uses the exact same thing for evil. Yes. In that what they're trying to do is get you to go the whole way down the thread and give you... I mean, I think the worst ones are the the hustle bros, which is, is the same as any platform. I don't know if you've seen good ones of these, but it's stuff like, hey... Uh, a million people use Google Docs every day. Uh, here are seven <laughs> Google Docs hacks you didn't know. Yeah, and it's always like there's a button where you can change the font, and it's like it's insane stuff. Where it's like everyone knows this. There's or one. It's a there's one good Google Doc hack, which is that you can type doc.new into your browser, and it'll make a new Google Doc. That's it. That is the only That's good the only Google. hack. Yeah, that is it's the good. only good one. But yeah, people go through this, and uh, they come up with like a list of ridiculous things but you kind of read through them all because you're like well i want to see if any of these are any good but a bunch of people are will often engage with them will retweet them will quote tweet them because it is an easy way to provide value to their followers they say hey here's a useful thing and everyone's like thanks that's great so they are kind of providing engagement through it's not even it's not i i I do think it's a really cynical way of doing it but i also think that no an awful lot of people involved are not that cynical and that people are saying like, I don't think they're cynical. And in fact, I've been, I felt bad a few times when I've come after these people because it turns out like they're not that cynical. But before we get to the kind of people that are currently doing this, I wanted to, I wanted to connect something and, and, and get your opinion on this. All right. All right. So, you know, I'm on the, I'm on the toilet. I'm going to the bathroom. I got Twitter out, you know, usual, usual morning routine. Producing a thread. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at a thread and it's not good and I don't care about it, but I'm reading it. And uh, I finish, and you know it was so it was so unimpactful to my life that I don't even remember what the thread was about. But it was something about like business or some shit. I don't know. Sure. But I was suddenly struck with like a feeling that I had felt before, which was not connected to me going to the bathroom. It was like a mental feeling. And do you remember, like, fifteen years ago now, probably? Those websites that weren't doing like listicles per se, but they were doing like listed essays that were written on typically WordPress sites that didn't have inline advertising. So they loaded super fast and they were easy to read and they would come across your your various whatever and you'd just read them and they would just, you know, leave your mind immediately afterwards and it didn't really matter. You didn't really care because like... It was so easy to consume because there was no load times. There was no ads. It was just like l- like listed words. 
Do you remember that? Yeah, I mean, I think that the format is the power, though, because I think that it has the same impact even when it's like, you know, here are 14 celebrities who have normal jobs now and you won't believe who what normal jobs they have and then you click on it and it's not that, it's something else. But you're still kind of like, well, I'm vaguely curious in this new thing you've, you've given me and I, you click through three and you're like, why am I doing this? And then you exit. But you don't get the why am I doing this feeling with Twitter threads because there's no advertising. There's no moment to leave because you're inside the Twitter ecosystem. So it's super frictionless. You can just see like, and they all figured out like they put like a money bag emoji in the top tweet or like some sort of like lightning bolt emoji or something. Yeah. Some sort of like email marketing trick. And you like click in and you're like, well, I guess I'm just going to like read this weird man's thread. And like as long as it's under 30 tweets and they all load fairly easily, I'm probably going to read it and like move on with my life, which I think is interesting that they figured out like a very low friction way of grabbing people inside the app itself. Yeah, I think so. And, and Twitter also played into this a little bit because I don't know if you get this on yours, but uh, they started doing a little icon next to things that are threads. Oh, the little like the little like topic button thing that appears at random yeah. sometimes. This is yeah. yeah, this is a thread. I'm not. I'm not. I, I I can't tell how they apply it to things, but they, it seems to be like anything longer than like twelve or something that where it says. But I've seen other ones too now. I've seen other yeah. ones that said like brunch or hot takes. Yeah, I mean, I I I think I'm yet to do it in my own tweet that has a hot take button, which I know. is a shame. But I'm always tweeting hot takes, and Twitter's never giving me any credit for it. But yeah, no, it's I. I so the other thing to like the other piece of this, and I think this is an, an interesting place to take this next, which is that Twitter threads are kind of one of the wilder product success stories of the internet. They're like this thing that for a long time wasn't possible to do, but people were hacking it together in, in ways to make it work, much in the same way that like Twitter users invented the hashtag. And and the retweet, because originally that was there was like manual retweets right. before retweets. Oh man, I forgot about manual retweets. Yeah. So like once again users figure out that they can link tweets together by replying to themselves. They start doing it. And then all of a sudden Twitter like builds in the functionality and now you can thread and you can do like you can do hundreds of tweets in a thread. I uh, I interviewed last year the woman who has like one of the longest running Twitter threads ever. She does the screenshots <laughs> of Tumblr posts. You know about her? Uh oh yeah, it's like seven thousand or something. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah, she uh she like lives in Eastern Europe. She loves Tumblr, but she says that it breaks pretty regularly now. And like every couple hundred, it'll break, and then her users have to like go in and stitch it together by like <sighs> quote tweeting it and replying, and it's it's completely unnavigatable now. But it's interesting that. That has succeeded at the same time that, by all accounts, Medium.com has not succeeded. Yeah. I mean, it's tricky because I think that one of the advantages of Twitter is that it allows you to do a variety of different things. And you can be in a bunch of different Twitters at the same time, which interact completely differently, rely on different tools and different uh, uh, functionalities, and have different rules. But obviously, many of those rules are implied and not explicit. Uh, whereas Medium is like, you're going to write a thing now. And I think that that ultimate flexibility of Twitter is really what ha what has made stuff like threads work. Say more. I mean, you could be the sort of person who is on Twitter to learn productivity hacks. Like, that is the <laughs> thing am. that you care that's about. Why I'm yeah. there. I, that's why I'm there, yeah. The, uh, the only thing that I know in my life is that Twitter has made me more productive. Like that's every true. day it improves my productivity. <laughs> it's like the one yeah. thing that's like, yeah, no, now I'm productive because I have Twitter. That's right. So if you're the sort of person who goes to Twitter to be more productive uh, and ends up reading things about productivity and retweeting those things and then reading other things about productivity and then retweeting those things, that is being productive. Right. <laughs> but no, I, I think, the, yeah, the flexibility of, of what you're trying to do with Twitter means that because also these people exist in a bunch of different places like football twitter is the one i always go back to as like a classic here is where everything gets invented because everyone there is so like nakedly cynical and has their own little island but threads on football twitter have been like a thing for a while there was one a while back where a guy noticed something that was genuinely interesting like it was some trick that some people did at a penalty uh they they picked the ball up but gave it to the player who wasn't going to take the penalty so that all the other teams surrounded him and yelled at him while the guy who was going to take the penalty like wandered off. Then when it got sorted out and he went to take the penalty, he was like in it, he was like calm and hadn't been like harassed by everyone. And it was like, oh, that's a really cool thing to notice. And he went back, he found a few other games, had like screen grabs of them. And it was like, oh, that's a really good use of a thread to explain 
a thing that you've noticed in a way that the, the people haven't. But also, because it's Twitter, you can use that format. You can say, okay, I'm going to screen grab this. I'm going to have a little clip of this. I'm going to have a little thing here where I've drawn something on it. I'm going to explain it in text. And you can do it any way you want. He could also have just done like four images next to each other, which demonstrated the same thing in like a comedy way. He could have just done it by text. He could have just done it with a, a video that he'd in place. And I think that Twitter is really, from on that basis, like one of the most flexible platforms. Which also, the punchline yes. to that is that the very next thing he noticed was like completely insane because he'd gone, been successful once uh, and he'd had a, oh, I've, I've, I've done this one thing good and people liked it. And the next thing he noticed was was like complete nonsense. And then he kept oh, trying okay. to find he kept trying to find things that were as good as the first thing he noticed, and they were got they got worse and worse until the point where everyone was like mocking him, because that is the life of the thread guy. You do a thread, it goes viral. Then you keep doing other threads, and eventually everyone mocks you. Right now, that makes a lot of sense. In the U.S., I feel like it's actually fairly easy to trace the trajectory of like the recent wave of thread guys. So. Like in the pandemic, there were all of those men who suddenly like dusted off their medium accounts to like blog about COVID. Yeah. Some of them were fine and a lot of them were definitely not fine. And as the early days of the pandemic went on, I would say most of them became not fine. Most of them just like started to unravel pretty hard. And what I thought was interesting is that when the supply chain crisis came around, like nine months later, those same guys came out of the woodwork again as now supply chain experts because they, you know, they graduated from pandemic school, but they yeah. weren't using Medium. They were using Twitter to do threads about the supply chain crisis instead. Like there was all those guys that, like you know, fifty years ago would have been like weird guys with like train sets in their basements, but now they're like on Twitter tweeting about how to fix the Ever Given that's stuck in the Suez Canal, <laughs> like those kind of guys. This is the other thing about Twitter is that it's current events. So it really lends itself to doing a big thread about the thing that's happening right now. For example, some people might say that, guys, it's time for some game theory. Oh, man, I forgot about the game theory thread. Yeah, I mean, so, okay, so we got to talk about it because I do think it's like a really good, like, it's one of those things where it's it was... It's the Ur example. It is. And yet it was so embarrassing that no one kind of did that for a while until like it, there was basically like a period of time where everyone was like "Ooh, that's pretty rough i'm like not gonna go towards that world again I, for a I, bit i'm not the, i'm not gonna be a, a a a thread guy a thread guy and then the pandemic sort of like undid all of that work that we did bullying those men and just not being that um so what we're talking about oh man it's still online and i don't think he's blocked me so let's see hold on he's not blocked yeah, me. okay Okay, cool. I got it right here. Incredibly, it now has more quote tweets than retweets. Yeah, it's so good. And also the, <laughs> the, top, the top responses are so good. Okay, wait. So it's Have Eric, you got the David Fahrenheit one? Yeah, yeah, it's the top one. Okay, well, hold on. So, <laughs> oh, man. What a, what a moment in time this was. So December 11th, 2016, just the absolute nardier of American culture, Eric Garland tweets, bracket, thread, bracket. All uppercase. Should be an emoji. See, again, this is how the language of Twitter changes. It should now be an emoji of a thread. Exactly. Hold on. So he, he writes, he writes, I'm, I'm now hearing this meme that says Obama, Clinton, et al. are doing nothing. Just gave up. Guys, it's time for some game theory. Well, Eric, I'll tell you from where I'm sitting in 2022, they did. <laughs> there was there was no game theory. They gave up. Um, All right. well, but the top responses, hold on, read the top responses because they're really funny. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how I'm getting the same one as you because the top responses for me are mostly himself replying to his own thread at a later date. Uh, but there's David Farenthold who says, damn man, this is great writing, using a form that doesn't usually, usually lend itself to greatness. <laughs> Boy. <laughs> So for me, <laughs> right beneath that is Brian Stel uh, Brian Stelter, who just writes plus oh, one. God. Oh God! Uh, so so if you don't know who we're talking about, Eric Garland, this guy, he describes himself as a geopolitical analyst, but 
I mean, he he now is the host of the Game Theory Today podcast, but he's basically like one of these guys who like writes professional fan fiction for Democrats to like cope with the psychological torment of living in the world that we live in. Yeah. Um, and so he's always like coming up with like fanciful ways that like actually by Biden not being a good president, this is how he's being a good president. Although me and Dark Brandon are cool right now. I, I'm, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm digging what he's doing. I love his whole like I'm going to be uh, looking like a – you know, a bad guy from an anime, uh, at a public address. But anyway, so this, this format, it went away for like four years, basically. Yeah. Uh, and then it came back, uh, and God, has it come back to the point where Hang on, I need to quote, I need to quote one more thing on this tweet because it's so good. Okay. All right. All right. All the time since every product has happened, uh, it has had, he has only ever hidden one reply to this thread it is from a guy called Jared, who has 136 followers, who is asking Jar Jar Bot to get translation on it. Wait, what? Say that again. Yeah, he's only ever hidden one reply to it. And he hid this reply in July this year. And it was a guy called Jared, who has 100 followers, saying, looping in uh, Jar Jar Bot 1, saying, let's get a translate on this too. And Jar Jar Bot 1 is a Jar Jar Binks translator. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But you got to read it. You got to read the tweet as translated into, into Gungan. Mies are now here in dismeme that Christ. <laughs> it's very hard not to read this and be like, wow, George Lucas, you were doing some racism here. No, I, we can we can acknowledge that the Gungan yeah. way of speaking is not okay, but also you got to read it. Obama can't hell. It's a doing nothing, just gave top. Guys, it's a time person game theory. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only thing he's muted on it. <laughs> He's like, nope, that reply is too far. <laughs> Six there years are thousands of people screaming of There are thousands of replies of people just <laughs> making, like just dunking on him so much. And that's the one that I guess was too far. That's great. Yeah, that's so good. What's also interesting is that like after the thread came back with a passion after uh, COVID, I first started seeing it outside of the supply chain guys with like crypto Twitter, uh, particularly Web3 Ethereum people, like NFT people, a lot of that. Yeah. And then it seems to have made the jump over to mainstream business people. So now I just see like a lot of like men who describe themselves as founders doing it. And like, like people being like, here's how I took uh, a bunch of money that I got from a rich friend of mine to buy a mailing list to turn into you know, uh, my marketing company. Like the, it's like stuff like that, but they're like hustle every day. Listen to your employees. I saw one that was like recently that was like, here's how to run a company with employees in like seven different countries. And the first one was like, write everything down. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> I mean, that's the best bit of it. All of this advice is, is insanely basic or, yeah. There was one. There was one the other day that uh, I saw, which was a guy, and it's so hard to tell when these are parodies because it's it's not it's not always clear. But it says it was it was said. Uh, here are hold on, right here are fourteen skills that you can learn uh, that are really helpful uh, and like will improve your life. Uh, and and it was going through it, uh, and then the stuff that it's coming up with is like copywriting. And then communication. <laughs> and I'm trying to find the exact thing because it's extremely annoying. But it is basically just coming up with like a list of things where it's like business management. And it's like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> like, yeah, the skills you can learn <laughs> in, in a career. I don't know, man. What, what are you trying to help with here? Oh, here we are. Okay, I've got it. I've got it. I've got it. Okay. So the most useful things you can learn, uh, sales and marketing, writing, investment, public speaking, personal brand, sports, making money online. And it's true. Those are all good skills to learn. Those are all good skills to learn. I, like you, was very confused by a lot of what I was seeing. Because it was all really basic, right? It was all just like, it was stuff that didn't need to be a thread. Which, you know, incidentally, these are the kinds of people who would have a meeting that could have been an email, but they're like turning one tweet into many. So like, this is the kind of person that's doing this sort of thing. But before I went on vacation this summer, I actually was sent a bunch of stuff from readers about why they're all doing this. And what I didn't realize is that like, there's literally a, a service, like there's services that people are using to learn how to do this. I mean, so what should do a thread about this? 
<laughs> so this is uh, I this is an example I found. It's from uh, something called Strongland Publishing, which uh, you can find at lifemathmoney.gumroad.com. And Gumroad is just like an online marketplace yeah. platform. I use it to buy music stuff. And this is titled The Art of Twitter. Build a business that makes you $100 a day. That's not a very good business, but fair enough. The easiest, fastest, most reliable method, underlined, to build an online business that makes you $100 a day in less than a year. Use it for six months at my entire risk. In the rare case, it doesn't get you any results. You don't pay a dime, guaranteed. And then basically what it shows you how to do is like make Twitter threads. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, you know, obviously it includes like e-commerce, SEO, all that stuff. But like the main trick that it's, it's, is, so there's a section here, how to avoid the Twitter circle jerk. Screw that. To grow your business, you don't have to be a bootlicker or an adulator. Oh. With my method, you'll become a true artist of Twitter. Nothing to do but copying and pasting what others, nothing to do with copy and paste what others said or pay for engagement. This method works because it exploits the core of the platform. It's something that will never change. No matter what the algorithm decides to do, no matter what the CEO decides to do, no matter what the gurus say, let me explain. Twitter is a text-based app. No, you don't have to be a talented writer to profit from it. And once you know how, when, and where to use a certain kind of text, as I show you with my method, you'll get the right kind of attention and the right kind of followers. I'm talking about the people who want to follow you, engage with you, buy from you. Of course, you can try your luck, waste a lot of time and money along the way, or you can build your business the easy way. Using the easiest and most reliable method there is, introducing the art of Twitter. And it's basically just like, oh my God, it just goes on and on and on. Holy, holy hell. Yeah, and, and the whole thing is just like, make threads. That's, and then he's, he's also got like a load of links to, wow, okay. Basically, I, I don't know if they're paid guides, but the, he has like links to basically a lot of like notorious shit posters and stuff. Uh, notorious shit posters and a lot of people who have well, done basically this alpha male advice and all that stuff. But there's a couple of accounts on here that I have actually heard of before now. Like Orwell and Good? Yeah. Yeah. He's, he claims that or, or, Orwell and Good has like used him. I mean, but at the same time, like I would not be surprised if like big accounts vaguely related to the manosphere are like shilling gumroad guys for money. Like I feel like it's all just yeah. a completely rotten ecosystem but it's it's like everything you know if if you know and during the gold rush shall sell the shovels and that's exactly what, what they're doing here it's like it's smart that's what my dad said at the bitcoin miami festival he said it's super smart you know when there's a gold rush you got to sell the shovels i i'm looking at a screenshot on this gumroad page uh from an account called learn to attract which <laughs> nice <laughs> the, the avatar is tommy shelby from peaky blinders hell yeah dude uh, and it's like a pickup artist account that's like thanking this Gumroad guy. It's in fact, as I'm scrolling, it's literally almost all Manosphere stuff, which is super interesting. It's all like how to seduce. Yeah, there's a lot of Manosphere things. And then no, yeah, it's it's Manosphere stuff. And then accounts called like DiFi Times and like yeah. Ethereum people. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's interesting. I think the stuff that breaks into my circle more is kind of like growth hacky CTO founder stuff like there's a lot of like startup bootlickers <laughs> yeah but yeah it, I, I these these threads exist in every single thing and the griftier the sphere the more they exist so they exist an awful lot in crypto they exist an awful lot in uh, the manosphere they exist an awful lot in like startup hustle culture i've seen a lot of them in um like writing like creative writing stuff a lot of that yep there's a lot of that where it's always kind of like, hey, here's the one easy method you need to finish your book. There's also a fair bit of football as well, but that's kind of because everyone's just scamming each other for followers rather than kind of like a genuine scam. I'm I'm also seeing now like very quickly a growing contingent of like, as we talked about last week, like here are the best AI prompts to generate th thousands of good images. Yeah. It's like very similar. It's like a very similar vibe of just like, I guess what we're talking about, as always with the show, is the intersection of men and money. <laughs> like, that's that's what it is. It's just like, if you get enough men together who all have the same interest and also throw money into the mix, like, they're just going to start scamming each other. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's also the other thing is that they're all making money from each other. No one is making money from anyone else here. There's no, no new no, money coming into the ecosystem. They're all making their, they're all just making money from each other. 
Yeah, I want to take like, I want to take like, <laughs> like 20, 24 year old men, put them in a room and just give them like the piggy bank from Squid Game and just watch them all like scam each other. Like that's all this is. It's like, it's, it's like the same thousand guys scamming each other. And they're all like switching between pickup artist accounts and Ethereum accounts. <laughs> yeah, but what you'd have to do is you'd have to set it up in a way that there was a winner. As soon as there's a winner, they'll scam each other. That's like if there's true. Not, if yeah. there's not a winner, they'll just like, I don't know, throw the piggy bank in the wall or, or something. <laughs> yeah. But they'll if just you're like, all hey, get like really... It's, it's for a TV show and the winner uh, gets like a thousand Twitter followers and you're like, awesome, we're going to scam each other now. Well, without like money, what happens is they all just start talking about like times they've done drugs. I mean, it depends on, it, it does depend on the type of guys, to be fair. The kind of men who are going to scam each other on Twitter are also the kind of men who are going to take you aside in a party and be like, do you want me to tell you about the time I did mushrooms? And they'll th- no, and- no, 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 no. They're going to they're gonna take you inside and go and, and tell you all about this hustle and be like, hey, right, but hey, I'm saying, hey, hey, with, hey, hey, you've got to get into crypto. Like, But I'm saying without money, they're going to be like, oh, man, let me tell you about the time I rolled ecstasy. And it's going to be like the, a 20-minute story that is so goddamn boring. Because it just amounts yeah, okay. to, I took ecstasy. <laughs> 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 but like for them, it was like the biggest deal, man. It was unbelievable. Don't tell my girlfriend I told you, but like it was unbelievable, <laughs> man. Like it's like that kind of thing. Yeah. So I guess like to sort of like come out of this like Twitter thread K-hole, like let's, let, let's try to answer like a larger question with this, I think, which is like, do you think that there's anything we can tell about like the health or like the life cycle of where we are with Twitter by the prevalence of the guys doing these kind of threads? I mean, I think I think we can tell that it's healthy. Like everyone loves You think this is a sign of health? You think this is like I a good I think this is a sign. sign of health because there are people doing this and they're doing it obsessively and it doesn't really cause a problem. Huh. People are constantly doing this and how often do you actually come across one? It's not that it's not that regular and then as soon as you search for it you discover there are dozens of people doing this, hundreds of people doing this, thousands of people doing this. They're all getting thousands of retweets each, and it doesn't really beat you. Twitter is like, kind of, you know, the, the old Twitter is the town square thing. Yeah, Twitter is the town square. These are the guys in the corner, like, hustling and yelling at each other and screaming about who's getting a better deal. And you just walk away from them and go to, like, a food truck. Interesting. Yeah, I suppose that's right. See, my take on it was that, like, anytime you see guys like this, it means the platform's unhealthy because something has happened in the moderation. And now, like, these men are, like, coming out of the seams. Sure. I mean, to an extent, but I, I don't know. I, I'm i drifting away from the idea that it's, it's similar. A few years ago, I definitely would have thought it was a symbol of a lack of health. But now I kind of think that it is a sign of, like, oh, there's a new thing that people are doing. And I think a new oh. thing that people are doing is good for a platform, even if it's something that they eventually have to go, like, well, going to have to kill this off. Right. No, that actually makes a lot of sense where it's like, as long as there's a new dumb trick, it means that like there's enough people to generate a new dumb trick, which is yeah. incidentally not super dissimilar from our conclusion with the know your meme, uh, 10 year meme <laughs> retrospective. It's <laughs> like, as true. long as there's kind of new junk being generated there, it's some kind of way of de- deciding like the thing is healthy. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. No, that, that makes sense. I, I, I feel I like, like I've this. actually... I've actually completely changed my take on this. Uh, I went into this being like, all right, this is like when the hustle bros show up, like that's when you know the party's over. But you might be right that like the hustle bros are maybe a canary in the coal mine for like, like maybe they're a good thing, not a canary in the coal mine. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's not a good thing. It's just like you need energy. You need people doing things and fighting each other and having like a big we've hacked a thing and then everyone's like, oh, please stop hacking this thing. Uh, like, yeah, that's what you need because then people still care about the platform doing something with it. Wow. Like, you know, it's, it's face, if, if you look at Facebook and everything is just a nightmare of awful videos that are unwatchable, people there don't care about like doing something genuine with the platform. They are hacking a thing and they're hacking a thing in like a negative way. They're not really trying to build a community. They're not really trying to build a following. All they're trying to do is make the numbers go up and these people are typically trying to build a following. They're trying to make other numbers go up, but like they understand that there has to be some community behind it. And I think, yeah, if you're still able to build community, if you're still trying to build a community, I think you're in a good spot. Wow. You know, I spend most of our recordings trying very hard not to change my mind about anything. 
and I definitely never want to admit that you're right. And I won't be doing that. Hey, Luke, have you consumed any content to stay sane this week? <laughs> House of the Dragon? I do. I uh, I would like to talk about House of the Dragon. Before we get to House of the Dragon, uh, I'll, actually, I'll put this here because I feel like this concerns enough listeners. Um, I have finished all three seasons of the show Evil, which is not a good show by any means. Uh, but I, I started watching it due to suggestions from our listenership. <sighs> Man, I've, I have not watched a show in a long time that is so clearly just like making shit up as it goes along. Uh, it's almost invigorating to watch a show that just has zero long-term plan for itself to the point where the showrunners have admitted, literally they have no plan for the show other than like what they come up with on any given day, which is awesome. Uh, and now that I've watched, Oh God, uh, 33 episodes of it. Um, I really want more. I miss it in my life, even though it's like not particularly good <laughs> and I'm sort of angry at it. Uh, so yeah, thank you guys for the recommendation. <laughs> um, yeah, let's uh, let's go over to our other uh, show and talk about House of the Dragon, which I think is, I mean, at this point, like, I, you know, unless something crazy happens on like She-Hulk or something, like, I think this is what we're going to be talking about for the next I, couple I weeks. I have given up on She-Hulk. I can't finish it. I can't watch you it. You can't finish it. See, I nope, love it. Can't watch I'm it. Completely, can't watch I'm completely, it. I'm completely sold. I love it. I love I love the whole show. So great. We're not going to talk about it. We're going to go talk about Game of Thrones instead. So if you want to hear that. You can go to thecontentminds.com. Uh, we do a bonus uh, episode every week for paying subscribers uh, where we talk about what we're watching and uh, the content that we're consuming. And uh, it looks like it's going to be Game of Thrones related for the next couple of weeks. So if you want to hear like a nice, concise Game of Thrones recap every week, you can find that at the thecontentminds.com. And thank you to Seven Morris for editing this week's show and providing the lovely soundscapes that are currently hitting your ears. Go to your podcast platform of choice and leave us a review as if you just came up with a great way to increase productivity and get those remote workers back in the office. Bye.